That Esports Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Esports Podcast. I am Golden Boy, and it is a pleasure to have you here today with me. I just want to say a few things first and foremost. Sorry for not getting the podcast out last week. For those of you guys who may not know, I was actually in Atlanta, Georgia, filming the Titan Games alongside Carrie Champion and Dwayne Johnson. It was a great experience, had a blast with it. Uh, I'll be sure to talk about it uh, probably on a Foreheads episode or, you know, on Twitter and, and, and whatnot. But it was such a such a great time, and uh, it was just awesome to be a part of it. Uh, huge shout-out to NBC, Seven Bucks, Danny Garcia, Dwayne Johnson, obviously, for uh, asking me to come back and be a part of this insane season two of the show. Can't wait for you guys to actually see what we cooked up because it was mind-blowing. That being said, if you do want to support the podcast, you can go ahead, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If it's, you know, funny, like I do in the foreheads, I'd love to read it. Uh, but, you know, also just feel free to leave a rating there and also follow on Spotify and then check us out wherever you may listen to podcasts around the world. I uh, would really appreciate it. And it helps get the podcast out there. So let's start things off first and foremost with a, uh, a discussion that I know could rustle some jimmies and that sounded very boomer of me to say that but uh i actually wanted to uh play this clip now this clip was actually from my friend fish sticks who was watching an event i believe it was smash summit i want to say and it was uh coming from uh hungry box uh one of the most winningest and most successful players and overall good guy uh in super smash brothers of all time and this is what he had to say let's take a listen i know this is probably a shot in the dark uh, but I'm going to try anyway because there's a lot of people watching. I really do wish if anyone from Nintendo corporate is watching this right now, mm. if anyone's seeing the amount of excitement these sets can get and everything that goes with it, just give Melee a chance. Even if it's just Ultimate, support the Ultimate scene, support the Smash scene in general. You have people day in and day out streaming, making content, competing, going to tournaments, and we do it all grassroots. We have this like Beyond the Summit because they raise money, and that's great. But Nintendo, I need to say I love you guys, but you are the only one not putting in resources into the scene. Mm. Look at Capcom mm. Cup, look at that celebration, look at every other game, look at Fortnite. This is the step that you're missing, and if you did that... The so obviously some strong words there from one of the uh, greatest minds that Super Smash Brothers has ever had, Hungrybox. Uh, and, and that is going to be the focus of uh, today's monologue and what we're going to discuss here, because I think that for far too long, Nintendo has just ignored what's been going on with their game. Honestly, it's, it's been too long. And I don't just mean Smash, by the way. I'm also talking about Splatoon 2, because there is a possibility that Splatoon could have been one of the biggest games in the world. Could have been massive across multiple continents, and they just didn't do anything with it, and I don't get it. I genuinely don't get it. It's free marketing for your game. It makes your game look good. And as a Splatoon 2 fan, it really broke my heart to see how much these players had put so much effort toward making this into a viable competitive title um, because it's awesome to watch. And if you haven't had a chance to check out Splatoon 2 competitive yet, I implore you, please do so because it is so fun. It's such a fun game. It's easy on the eyes. It's good for all ages. It's an easy game to explain. But yet 
for some reason, Nintendo just squandered this opportunity with Splatoon 2. And I know that they have like their versus stuff and they do a few things here and there, but it's just not at the scale that the game should have been given the support. And that is the thing that that bums me out about it. And then you look at Smash Brothers and it's the same thing there. And, and in fact, it's even worse there because Hungrybox is right. They've invested so much time energy and effort into building the Super Smash Brothers community and it is a multi-generational community which is the craziest thing about this game is that it has had no developer support for such a long time and yet they have such a rich powerful history and legacy filled with so many storylines and characters and none of it was from Nintendo's own creation it was created by the people the thing that Nintendo made was they made this exceptionally amazing game called Super Smash Brothers that changed the world, honestly, because it's been such a fixture in gaming for such a long time. How many people you know own a Nintendo Switch and play Smash Brothers on a regular basis? That's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy how a game like Super Smash Brothers that has been around for such a long time now it doesn't matter how old you are, you can enjoy this game. And take a look at Rocket League. Rocket League is a great example of a game that understood what their market wanted and is delivering on it. Could there be things that are a little bit better? Sure. But they are delivering on it. Psionics did a brilliant job cultivating their esport. And it is an esport that, dare I say, transcends generations and could realistically be one of the biggest games if not the biggest game down the line simply because it is so easy to understand it is cars kicking a ball into a goal easy super smash brothers is the same thing it's characters that you know and love from mario to zelda to final fantasy to Duck Hunt, and you know, the list goes on and on. Pokemon as well. All fighting against each other. Fun, friendly, good for all ages. Splatoon 2. It's a game about painting. Taking your favorite splatter gun or whatever it may be called, your favorite blaster, and, 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 and painting the ground. And yeah, sure, you eliminate some people, but it's all done in a colorful, fun way that is nonviolent and looks just like it's a good time. It's, it's so... It, it hurts me personally because I truly love these games. I, I play Splatoon 2 on, on a regular basis. It is, uh, it is one of my favorite games, um, on the, not only on the Nintendo switch, but it's also just one of my favorite games ever. And, and it just really genuinely bums me out that this is kind of the state of play for, uh, for Nintendo titles. They're, they're leaving money on the table. They are leaving money on the table. And, and, you know, maybe it could be a rights issue, because that is that is a justifiable thing, right? There are a lot of characters in the game. And perhaps Nintendo does not have the legal means to be able to utilize these characters uh, in an official capacity uh, and, and be able to market against it. Maybe that's what it is. You can also make the case that perhaps, you know, Nintendo Japan, like they're not really all that privy to esports. And here's the reality. Do they need to do anything with this? No, they don't. They've already proven that with Super Smash Brothers, 
they just put the product out there and millions upon millions of people would purchase the game because it is a good freaking video game. So people are just going to buy it no matter what. They don't need the marketing. They don't need it. They truly don't. And, 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 I, and I get it. And if that is also another reason why Nintendo doesn't want to do anything with Super Smash Brothers, then that is understandable. Honestly, what more can you say? Who else are they going to market Super Smash Brothers to? If the argument is always, well, these events are free marketing for them, who else are they going to market? Nintendo, one of the most well-known, well-respected, well-recognized brands in the world, who else are they going to market to? So it makes sense. It makes sense why Nintendo hasn't done anything with it. But that doesn't change the fact that it hurts. As a fan, it hurts. Because these people pour so much effort, time, care, heart, desire into this game. As Hungrybox said, they've put so much effort. They've put so much care into building this phenomenal history that Super Smash Brothers has. You know, the gods, Ultimate, 64, even Project M. And and I and I it just it really it frustrates me, it truly does, as a fan of just video games. Cause here's the thing, while this is that esports podcast and we do talk about all things esports, I am a fan of video games at the end of the day. I play so many games. I, I love video games so much, and, and I just want to see things like this, you know, succeed. And and look, Super Smash Brothers is gonna continue to succeed with or without Nintendo. And I, in fact, I even think that it is impressive that the community is still asking Nintendo to come in and get involved because they've already proven to the world of esports that they do not need their developer support in order for them to have a successful esport, in order for them to have uh, what they've already created. They do not need Nintendo for that. They've already proven it. So I think it, it speaks volumes that this community still wants to get Nintendo involved despite Nintendo not showing a lot of initiative to get involved. So that's basically where I'm going to end it. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I highly doubt anything will change from this. I know that a lot of the people from Nintendo America care about this stuff, but it really seems like there could just be a divide between what's going on in Japan and what's going on with Nintendo Europe and Nintendo America. And I hope that one day they can find a way to, to settle and, and, and make something beautiful, not only for esports, but most importantly, for that incredible Super Smash Brothers community. Because they deserve it. They've been at it for way too long. And they deserve every ounce of support that not only we can give them, but Nintendo can. We'll see what happens. 30 seconds away. They need to find one person. That's it. He'll head in towards archives and get caught. The hammer heads into orbit, but it's home once again is North America. Space Station Gaming are your world champions. Rainbow Six Siege is a game that simply keeps on giving. The Six Invitational just concluded for 2020. Space Station Gaming wins 3-2 in an incredible grand final against NIP. $1 million richer and Canadian is now a two-time Six Invitational champion. Having won back in 2017 with Continuum, it's been a long journey 
for the Canadian player, who's aptly named Canadian. He's been through many ups and downs. He had a second place finish with Evil Geniuses for the Six Invitational 2018, and then didn't really go all that well at Six Invitational 2019, finishing fifth through eighth. But today, the day belongs to the North Americans who raised the coveted Sledgehammer Trophy over their head. But let's not take anything away from NIP, who had honestly, just a jaw-dropping road to get up to this point. So first and foremost, NIP had an interesting road to get up until this point. In Group C, they ended up winning their Group 2-0, toppling the likes of MIBR and Team Liquid. But then they made their way to the quarterfinals, where they were swiftly defeated by TSM, who were poised, in all honesty, to march on forward to the grand finals because they were looking that damn good. Then you had NIP make their way to the lower brackets. That's where they ended the Cinderella story of G2 Esports, who won their group in Group D, getting that invitational spot that some people felt like was a tad controversial, but I don't think so. I think G2 certainly deserved their spot here. Then following with that, they defeated Dark Zero 2-0, and then BDS Esports 2-1, and then they finally got the revenge against Team Solo Mid, winning 2-0 in the loser's final. Finals, but it would be the grand finals where NIP's run would end, and what a end they had because to lose 3 2 and needing Thinking Nate and Rampy to clutch up at pivotal moments was probably the difference maker in that grand final. A clutch will need to be had, or Space Station stared down match point patiently. The clock almost at half. Spam marks from Kamikaze. A pre-fire will come in, thinking Nate on one HP. Will the Thermite be able to clutch? No! Plenty of time! No match point for ninjas in pajamas! Had it gone a different way, it could have easily have been NIP winning the million dollars and hoisting the trophy over their head. But unfortunately, it was not. This, though, shows great growth for the region. NIP has done a brilliant job of cultivating a Latin American roster, Brazilian team. You also have the likes of Team Liquid and MIBR, and it's safe to say that Brazil and Rainbow Six is as strong as ever before. And that leads me into the new structure for Rainbow Six Esports moving forward. So following the Rainbow Six Pro League Finals in May, Rainbow Six will actually divvy things up into multiple regions. The Asia-Pacific region, which has seen a lot of success, especially with teams like Norangu making names for themselves. But most importantly, you have teams that are coming out of the woodwork. You know, folks like uh, Fnatic, for example, that are playing out of Australia. This is going to be a great opportunity for that region to continue to get more growth. So we're going to see Asia Pacific divvied up into one region. Europe, obviously, will continue its strong, strong system of a 10-team league with an expanded version for the region's current structure. So think something similar to League of Legends. Then you have Latin America. As I had mentioned previously, Brazil had three very competitive teams that were at the Sixth Invitational. This will highlight Brazil, Mexico, and South America. Mexico will move to an offline structure, while Brazil's top competition will expand from eight teams to 10. So that's going to give more opportunity for Brazilian teams, and it continues to show that commitment that Ubisoft has to Rainbow Six in Latin America. And then North America will actually split off into different divisions for the U.S., 
and Canada. Now, there weren't a lot of details regarding this, but it seems as if we're going to get an offline league. I could be wrong here, but I think we are going to get an offline league, a land league for Rainbow Six, and I'm just excited for that. I think that it is about time. This game has proven that it is not only a top contender uh, in Tier 2 esports, but dare I say it could start to punch above, above its weight class into the Tier 1 esports structure, and it is very clear that that is what Ubisoft is trying to do. And it's incredible, too, this commitment that Ubisoft has had to their game, and it's really, really paid off for them. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting year for Rainbow Six Esports. I want to see what's coming along the horizon. And hey, you know, personally speaking, I hope that I get an opportunity to work another Rainbow event again, because I genuinely did have fun at the Raleigh Major. Um, and for some reason, people seem to think that I was like so bothered by folks being uh, like hating me online. It's the internet. People are going to hate you anyway, baby. That's just how it rolls. But I'm excited for Rainbow Six nonetheless. And uh, for more information, make sure you check out all of Rainbow Six's esports social media channels uh, and all that good stuff. And again, congratulations to Space Station Gaming, your six invitational 2020 champions. From Rainbow Six, we head on over to the city of brotherly love for some Overwatch because the Philadelphia Fusion hosted their first homestand. And I think that this was a significant homestand for many reasons. One, we had to see if whether or not people were interested in attending events beyond just the opening weekend in New York City and Dallas. But also, it was going to give us a good opportunity to see maybe not our most popular teams in the league compete against one another. Houston Outlaws obviously being a popular squad but you know when you compare them to the likes of the Soul Dynasty or the New York Excelsior there are certainly other squads out there that have garnered a lot of community love and now the Houston Outlaws we'll get to them in a little bit today the day belong to the Philadelphia Fusion they ended up defeating the Washington Justice three to one folks thought to themselves could the Justice really be that good and I think the answer is yes they are that good but the Fusion were just a little bit better that day. Having that seventh man, the crowd behind them as they were playing, I had a chance to speak with Poco on stage, and he said that it was an incredible experience, and I think it's safe to say that when you're playing at home, that whole vibe, it just uplifts you in a way that you simply couldn't do at the Blizzard Arena Los Angeles. But about the Washington Justice, this team is good. They are the real deal, and I think that a lot of people need to pay attention to what this team can bring throughout the season. Can they win a championship? I don't know. But do they have the tools to win a championship? They certainly do. I think that duo of Stratus and Corey is, is fantastic. I think they have a lot of great synergies going on with them. And you saw it in that Washington Justice Houston Outlaws matchup. Washington just looked better. They looked like an elite team. Houston Outlaws need a lot of work. And I think that, you know, Flame had mentioned previously that they're going to, you know, take some time to gel together, but also they weren't feeling all that well. He mentioned that on social media. I just think that the Washington Justice at this point in time, they're simply just a, a, a dominant squad. Uh, and then the Philadelphia Fusion ended up fighting against the Florida Mayhem on stage for their final match of their homestand. And again, it was the Philadelphia Fusion in commanding fashion, 3-0. The Mayhem, though, do look good. I, I do want to say that. They look better than in the previous two seasons. Obviously, it is a full Korean roster. They're revamped. There's a lot of talent there. And I think that the Mayhem have the potential to put together a winning season season but 
the schedule is going to be the difference maker for the mayhem and also for the fusion because going into the Washington Justice homestand next weekend, and by the way, if you happen to be in attendance, make sure you come through and say hello because I will be hosting and emceeing. Philadelphia Fusion will go up against the New York Excelsior, who many are saying right now could be the best team in the league. Are they? We'll see. They have obviously some ups and downs that they got to wrestle with themselves. I think they were a little shaky in their London Spitfire matchup, but that is going to be a great test for both teams, and it is going to give us an awesome indicator on how the pendulum will shift for OWL for that weekend. Lots of good games on the horizon there. Speaking of good games, we're also going to see Boston Uprising versus the Houston Outlaws, a big, big game for the Outlaws who are down 0-2 currently. Boston wants an opportunity to be able to silence everyone and say, listen, we have the potential, we have the capability, we put a good roster together, we want to topple the Houston Outlaws. Is it going to give us a good indication as to where these teams are skill-wise? No. I mean, I, I think, you know, both squads are, 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 are kind of, you know, middle of the pack right now. But I do think the Boston Uprising, they have a lot more to prove uh, than the Outlaws because this will be their, I think this is going to be their second game uh, currently because they are down 0-1 in this season. Yes, they are uh, losing to the New York Excelsior, who again, the Excelsior are obviously a really, really strong team. Uh, we're also going to see the London Spitfire take the stage once again, and they'll be going up against the Washington Justice. Uh, I want to know what this revamped London Spitfire roster is going to do against a team like Washington, and Washington will also square off against Paris. Now, if you do happen to want to come through to the event and, and you know check it out, make sure you do so. You can find the tickets on Ticketmaster, or you can check out overwatchleague.com for more information. But the Washington Justice homestand will take place this upcoming weekend at the Anthem in Washington, D.C. Then it is off to Atlanta as the Atlanta Fays will host their first homestand event February 22nd to the 23rd. And this is going to follow the fallout of the London event hosted by the Royal Ravens. Because in London, we saw, unfortunately, as a New Yorker pains me to say, the complete destruction of the New York subliners. They're going to need to bounce back. Luckily, they'll have this week to take a break and chill out for that one. But also the fallout from the grand final. Lots of trash talk between the Dallas Empire and the Chicago Huntsmen. And most importantly, the Huntsmen are the team to beat in the league right now. But we haven't had the Huntsman versus the Fays. Hopefully, in Atlanta, we will get our first glimpse at what we can expect between this upcoming rivalry of two of the league's top teams. The squads that will be competing in Atlanta are as follows. It is going to be the Toronto Ultra, Optic Gaming LA, London Royal Ravens, Chicago Huntsman, Paris Legion, Minnesota Rocker, Florida Mutineers, and the hosting team, the Atlanta Phase. We're actually also going to start things off with some great matches too, as the Minnesota Rocker will take on the Paris Legion, two teams that a lot of people did not give the time of day going into launch weekend, but I think now people are paying attention to them. Minnesota rocker have a lot of tools in their arsenal and they may not have the biggest names in the game but they certainly have the talent to back up what they're bringing minnesota rocker are going to be a team to look out for london rural ravens also are going to be a threat because they want to get revenge for losing out in the top two and not being able to make the grand finals in london 
They are going to face off against the Florida Mutineers. That should be an exquisite matchup as well to see how the Mutineers are really going to begin to put together a roster that can compete with the upper echelons of the league. While it is just the beginning of the season, the current standings show that the Chicago Huntsmen are leading in the CDL with 70 points. They've played one event. Obviously, launch weekend does not really count, but they are the champions coming out of London. Paris Legion will be right behind them at 40 points and Dallas Empire at third. Despite Dallas Empire coming in to the event in second place and losing to the Huntsman 3-0 in the grand finals, the Empire are actually looking like a pretty solid team. You want to talk about one of the biggest turnarounds you could possibly imagine from launch weekend to London. It is impressive to see how much progress this Dallas Empire team has made. And I'm not, you know, going to be one of those people that is going to uh, count out what this squad is capable of. Any team that has Crimsix and Clayster in the roster is a threat. I don't care how big of a Huntsman fan you are. But one team that is certainly going to need to show up big time is Optic Gaming LA. Going into launch weekend, people were wondering what Slasher's Optic can do versus the Chicago Huntsman, and the result was not much. They unfortunately did not look well-coordinated, well-synchronized, and the Huntsman simply just ran circles around them. Optic Gaming LA will continue to have a hard time because when they make their way to Atlanta, their first matchup will be against the Faze. The challenge there obviously being that while Atlanta Faze currently in the standings are in fifth place with 20 CDL points and no events played because this will be their first event coming up. Many are considering the Atlanta Faze to be the best team in the league alongside the Chicago Huntsmen. We will hopefully get a glimpse of what the Huntsmen and the Faze can both do and hopefully they play against each other in Atlanta and that will give us an indication they are separated in groups so we'd have to wait till bracket play to see that one come to fruition but Optic Gaming LA are going to have an upward hill to climb it is not going to be easy for them some teams though that are going to get some much needed rest will be the dallas empire the los angeles gorillas the new york subliners and the seattle surge all these teams really need to get their bearings together and figure out what they want to do for the rest of the season because it's only the beginning and it is going to be a very very long season now, there has been some discussion on the Dallas Empire, and I touched on it briefly, uh, but the Call of Duty League actually launched a new show called Contesting the Point, of course, hosted by my boy Malik. Give him a huge shout out. Malik, you're the best. But in this show, Chance and Nameless had to defend uh, some perspectives, and the perspective in this instance was Shotzi. And Nameless's argument is, and he had to defend his point, is that Shotzi is a bust. Now, if you don't know who Shotzi is, allow me to educate you here for a moment. Shotzi is one of the best Halo players coming out of that ecosystem, jumping ship over to Call of Duty, and a lot of people are suspecting that he could be one of the best players to play the game. Maybe not now if you you know, have this conversation with people on Reddit or online, but there is an argument to be made that a lot of the players that came from Halo that transitioned over to Call of Duty have had a lot of success, and thus history should repeat itself. Enable, Crim6, Formal, etc., etc. Frosty right now on the Florida Mutineers, and now Shotzi here for the Dallas Empire. So again, is Shotzi a bust? I don't think so, but let's hear Nameless's point and get his perspective. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we go as a player, boomer, bust, and I think Shotzi's a bust. I don't think he's ready for the CDL spotlight yet, and he probably won't be all the way until next year. From what we've seen out of this guy, even in the matches versus the average teams, he's not playing that well, and I know you guys all love stats, so I got some for you. 0.82 in the season so far. 
and they have played a decent amount of matches, so I think it is a decent enough sample size to gauge where this player is at. 0.87 at London, so that's not that much improvement from the first event, and he has specifically a 0.79 versus Chicago. Like, this guy is just getting destroyed on the main stage. He had one of the worst maps I've ever seen a player have ever in my entire life in the last 10 years of Call of Duty going 8-32 and 32 in domination or something like that, just getting destroyed. And online, he's dominating. So clearly, there's something that's getting to him, either on that stage, in the big moments. And when they need him the most, he is not performing, especially on that first map in their match for Chicago, where Clay and Krimmick were going off. I think they had like 70 and 40. So obviously, some strong words there from Nameless. But let's take a moment and reflect on what's been going on with the Dallas Empire and who they've had to play up until this point because we launched the Call of Duty League with the Chicago Huntsman versus the Dallas Empire. 3-1, that matchup went. Chicago gets the victory. Then Dallas Empire faces off against the Atlanta Fays. 3-0, Atlanta Fays get the victory. So their first two matches were against arguably the number one and number two, depending on where you want it throw them but the number one and number two respectively teams in the league all right so that's that's launch weekend that's launch weekend well let's let's, let's take a look at london then let's see what happened in london well they, they ended up playing against the uh seattle surge in their first matchup and that was a win for them they ended up winning that one three to zero it was a close game though granted each matchup ended you know i would say butt crack close right but the Dallas Empire did pick up the victory. Well, then who do they play after that? Oh, yeah, they played the Chicago Huntsmen again. And then they ended up losing three to one. So they ended up playing the Huntsmen two times, opening game, and then playing them again. And then they played the Huntsmen again in the grand finals where they lost three to zero. So they've played the Huntsmen three times. Three times. That's it. And if you look at the Chicago Huntsman's record, you would see that they are 6-0. Oh, wow. I wonder where three of those freaking games came from. It's the same squad. It's the, the Dallas Empire. They've played them so many times. So, again, people can say, well, the Huntsmen are clearly the best team in the league, but yet they've ran into uh, an empire that is still continuing to learn how to play with each other. And even then, when the empire are playing... They're playing pretty well. They beat the uh, the Seattle Surge. They beat the Los Angeles Gorillas. So clearly, this team is not this this you know low tier squad that some people are making it out to be. And I'm not saying Nameless is, is is calling them this. This argument was more towards Shotzi and what he brings to the table. But I'm of the mindset that you kind of just got to let this one sit out. This is a team that's going to take some time to grow. But look at the growth that they've had week to week, and now they're going to have a full two weeks or so, they, they're going to have a lot of time off, right? So because of that, they should be able to regain and I think perform very, very well. They'll make their return in Los Angeles for the uh, homestand hosted by the Gorillas and Optic Gaming LA. And this is going to be uh, Dallas facing off against the New York Subliners, a matchup that honestly, Dallas should win and will win. They will win it. So I think that the 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 narrative right now that Shotzi is a bust, which again, I know that this was Nameless's like point that he had to argue for the show. I just think it's false. I think it's false. 
I think Shotzi has a ton of potential, upwards potential. And yeah, maybe people are like, yeah, we'll sub in Tommy, you know, bring someone else in that, that's a veteran. But look at who they had to play. Three times playing against the Chicago Huntsman. Huntsman have been practicing and waiting for the Empire for such a long time now. And some people are like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the Huntsman are living in Crim's head rent-free. Oh, you best believe... You best believe that Scump and those guys were preparing for every scenario against the Empire because they know that if they lost those games, that the fans would not let them walk outside without getting booed. Maybe not that aggressively, but you know what I mean. One thing I will say, though, is that I'm so glad we could talk narratives right now because things are really starting to develop. They really are. And you know what? I'm going to call it right now. While all this is going on and everyone's going to be arguing with one another and yada, yada, yada. Minnesota Rocker, waiting in the wings. Your CDL 2020 champs. <laughs> I don't know, but I would love to see that happen. Honestly, I genuinely would love to see that happen. Because uh, the Rocker, they, they really are impressive. So there you go, folks. Atlanta will be hosting the CDL this weekend. Make sure you go and check it out on YouTube Gaming. Uh, tickets, I believe, are still available. There is also going to be a tournament there, too. I'm not entirely sure uh, how those events work, but I'm sure the Singularity is going to show up and win it anyway because they've been winning everything. Uh, it's going to be a fun event, without a doubt. You can check it out at the Gateway Arena in Atlanta, February 22nd and the 23rd. So for today, uh, I wanted to get someone that I felt was a little different in comparison to the people that I've had the opportunity to speak to uh, on that esports podcast, uh, because what's important about our industry is all of the aspects that surround it, uh, from the GMs to the players to the coaches to the to the fans to the to the TOs, everyone. But one aspect of it that I think is probably the most important. Um, part of this whole world is journalism and telling the stories as well as breaking the news as it happens. And there's no one else better in the world of esports than Jacob Wolf from ESPN. He's an award winner. This guy has broken so many stories and it's gotten to the point now where it's known as a wolf bomb. Yeah, you could say it's a, a, a voice bomb or a, a, a boy, boy bomb, voice bomb. I always mess that up uh, from ESPN. But no, the wolf bomb is our version of that. And it's because of this man, Jacob Wolf. He's broken so many stories in his career. And I'm just looking forward to being able to talk to him about his thoughts on journalism's critical role in esports, but also what are some of the games that he enjoys watching. Uh, let's go ahead and take a listen. I'm now joined by ESPN's Jacob Wolf, a good friend of mine, fellow New Yorker. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Alex? Good. Are you in New York right now? I am. I am. I'm probably not that far from you right now, sitting at home in Brooklyn. That's <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. Is we always talk about getting together and then we we fail miserably. And then we wait, and then we get together at like some weird diner in London. Right? Yeah, yeah, like in our own backyard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is the worst part about it. Is in esports, you are like right next to someone. You hang out with you hang out with them only though at events. You don't hang out with them when you're in the actual city with that person. It's, it's I I literally live five minutes from Pocket. It's the same thing. It's, it's literally the same. So thing. ridiculous. <laughs> we just got to get the. We just have to stop talking about it and actually do it. That's yeah, the most important. Thing. Together. 
Uh, well, so I, I wanted to have you on here because, you know, one of the things that uh, that I think I, I, I talked about in the show was that esports is so many elements, so many aspects that just come to create this this amazing combination of of beauty that we have in this world, right? In this delicious niche known as esports. Journalism plays a massive, massive part in that whole ecosystem. And the reason why, and, and I had mentioned the Wolf Bombs previously, that has kind of become synonymous with, with esports. You breaking down these crazy roster moments or groundbreaking news, whatever the case may be. Firstly, how do you feel about the fact that you got coined with the Wolf Bomb uh, because that's pretty awesome. And then two, the, I guess the, how do you feel, uh, journalism impacts what we do here in esports? Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of funny. Like the Wolfon thing was not, was certainly not self-imposed. Uh, the first time I remember someone using it was, uh, Nick fan who is general manager of FlyQuest now. Mm -hmm. Um, it, Nick and I are both very like large NBA fans, uh, super into the league. And obviously uh, my colleague Adrian Wojnarowski, his th thing is the Woj bomb. Yeah. Uh, when he like drops news, and so like people just started calling it the Wolf bomb. I guess it's uh it's only like two other difference. That's right? be a pretty so, cool term of endearment, though, right? Like, oh, I to it totally is. And we like, you know, I was a little worried because like I I don't want to feel like I'm like trying to walk in the shoes or step on a colleague because I like really respect Adrian and think what he think what he does in the NBA is really great um, and and pioneering in a lot of different ways. I think it's really funny and we've played into it uh, actually in our free agency show teaser mm -hmm. uh, in November. We we had me because I actually did my my studio was his studio, actually, the Woj and Woj studio in, in Bristol. Yeah. Um, and so I like walked into his studio and slapped uh, ESPN or slapped the word esports written Sharpie on a paper uh, <laughs> over his logo. Uh, and then it uh, like in the post-production one of our producers put the ESPN logo next to the awesome. thing. And, and I misspelled it intentionally, the E capital S sports. Oh. So, because uh, it's, it's funny. <laughs> you got to do um, it like that. But yeah, I think it is a little bit of a term of endearment. I just like, I'm always hesitant because I don't want to feel like I'm trying to steal someone's thunder or like step on a colleague because I like really respect him a lot. So, fair, fair, fair. Um, then journalism, to your other point, like journalism as a whole in esports, you know, it's, it's really hard because I feel that as the industry has leveled up, journalism necessarily hasn't with it. Not saying that some of us haven't gotten better. A lot of us have gotten better as journalists, but nobody's really figured out, and this is digital media at large, what really works in digital media other than like listicles and advertorials, meaning like advertisements written as editorials, which yep. like this is, that is what is working. And like, I am very much a stickler for old timey journalism, you know, magazine-esque writing and long-form feature writing. And like, I, that's the type of stuff moving forward. I want to do more of myself, but I want to do it also in video format, long-form content, docu-series, audio series, etc. There felt like a period of time where a lot of publications were coming into the space and they like thought that they were going to make money quick by being in the esports space, uh, as many investors do. And then they were like sadly mistaken that this is, takes a long time, right? Like I had a number of years before sort of my current profile and people like really came around and started enjoying my content. Uh, I had like two or three years where people hated me and I just like had to live through it and just keep busting my ass until people came around. 
yeah. and realized that like I was committed to doing it and was in it for the right reasons. But like it's it's not an easy. It's not like you can come in tomorrow as a publication and and be easily regarded. And also each esport community is different, right? So like or uh, ESPN is like very endeared in League of Legends and Overwatch, and I would say Super Smash Brothers also. But like we have some places and areas of improvement that I like want to help us get better at uh, in my role. And you know I, I I hear loud and clear that we could be better at covering other things. Each each community yeah. sort of has what they could be better at all that all that said and done though like i think that unfortunately like there are a lot of people that have used journalists or journalism in esports as stepping stones to other jobs and look like i'm never going to shame anybody for getting paid like go get your money and make a living and you know like feed yourself it's important yeah um but like it's unfortunate that both from the business perspective of the publication and entities, and but also from the personal perspective, we've not seen a ton of growth. We haven't seen a lot of a ton of growth in esports journalism sort of since I came, I think, in 2015. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's it's that's sort of sad. It, it is, you know, esports is. Um... I should actually say journalism in esports does, in fact, remind me a lot of casting in esports. It's like something that people it, at the beginning kind of just like fell upon it was like oh yeah i know this person so i will talk to them or in the case of a caster oh i played this game so yeah i'll talk about it on a microphone you know because no one else really knows how to talk about it and then with casting it it just changed into its own thing right but you you said that there is a um people oftentimes use it as a as stepping stones and it was kind of sort of like that for a while with or in a lot of casters back then like i remember um people in call of duty would like it was the joke was like those who can't play coach and those who can't coach cast or something like that was kind of like the 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 joke probably butchered it they would then like try and pivot out of it and go into um you know like general managing or or whatever the case may be there certainly has been a lot of back and forth i think that that just creates it, it just goes to show like how this industry though can transform because now like people are just foaming at the mouth to be a, a caster, right? And I yeah, wouldn't be yeah. surprised if that ends up happening to journalism as well. It's just something, yeah. as you said, will take time. I definitely think that there are a lot of people that want to be sports journalists, and like I fully acknowledge that part of part of the reason I have been successful is like I was here at the right time. Timing's you everything, know. dude. <laughs> A hundred, a hundred percent. You know, like the one thing I, I think I sort of had a little bit of a leg up on was like. I came in right before the financial boom. Like I was around as a fan and I used to like play COD a lot competitively on game battles and really enjoyed the scene as a fan. But I like, I was also a teenager. And so when I like started writing, I was 17 in 2014. Mm-hmm. And, but I really started, started to make my mark in 2015, right before all of the large investors, like the people involved with energy and immortals and echo Fox, they all invested later that year. Like, before those types of people, these like billionaires and millionaires investing in our industry, before they showed up, I was here and I had met a lot of the people that they had hired or would go on to hire later when they uh, all these, you know, wealthy people invested. And like, you know, I was of all the journalists that were in the space back then, I was I can say this pretty strongly, like I was the least abrasive. Some of some of the others in the space, like even people I respect a lot, uh, were very loud and sometimes rude to to these people who were like managing challenger teams or whatever it may be right like smaller entities yeah Uh, but when those people eventually got hired by you know millionaire billionaire big big time business person like they felt comfortable with introducing me to their bosses just in general 
uh, because I was always, at, you know, like controversial and like at odds with them sometimes and breaking stories. Sure. But like at the end of the day, like I would go to lunch with these people and like or coffee and like tell them like, look, this is a respect thing. This is my job. That's your job. And like just because I'm breaking a story on your team doesn't mean I hate you. Like it just means I'm doing my job. And and I always like try to make that a point. So they were they like those types of people were always very interesting to me and introducing me to high level people. And I think that like being there at the right time right before that financial boom really helped me yeah. uh, advance in my career. You met a lot of you met a lot of people. So what you're telling me is that ladies, Jacob Wolf, good to meet for the parents. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's just good. It's good to meet for the parents. Relationships are everything in esports. Uh it, yeah. it is a very small industry. Uh, contrary to popular belief and what some may think you go somewhere you go to a party you know maybe like the overwatch league end of season party right chances are like you'll see those same people at the league of legends end of season rap party or something like that mm -hmm. because there there really is just a lot a lot of the industry is just you know they're, they're all just crossing paths what do you feel like is the biggest challenge there because there was a point in time where I remember reading people saying like, oh, yeah, you know, the uh, only reason why certain people get the scoops that they get or whatever is because they only write positively about, you know, the league. And it's like not true. I mean, I don't think that's true because I think where there's where there is an opportunity for criticism, it certainly is there. But th there has to at least be some kind of challenge where you're like, OK, I need to just be careful about how I word this because I can't. I can't afford to lose access to what's going on here. Am I am I like in 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 the right ballpark there? How, how do you feel about that? I feel like everybody handles it a little differently. I try to handle it very much the way that like older journalists from an ethical perspective handle it, right? Like I will never trade a positive story for access. Ever. Yeah. Right? Like you give me access and I have the control of the situation and what is published. Uh, or my editors do. And I have never been one to go like, oh, yeah, I'll write a nice story to you or for you. If you like, look, like I've seen journalists literally take vacations with teams that are yeah. paid for by the teams. That is so unethical and like just bad. Like it, and it like kind of makes me a little sick, to be honest. You know, I know like I was critiqued for uh, people like thought that because ESPN had a relationship at one point in time with the Overwatch League that I like couldn't be critical of the Overwatch League. And like, that's just not true. Like you and I talked during that period of time. And like, I've always been critical of the Overwatch yeah. League because yeah. I, I think there are certain points in times where like they mess up. Where I give them a lot of credit is like they did sales in a way that none other did. Like they were the highest selling entity from a sponsorship standpoint compared to any league in esports. Yeah. Uh, whether that was on false pretenses or not, that's a different conversation. But in terms of still got the, checks the, raw, the raw numbers, they still got the checks, right? And so like they deserve some credit for their salesmanship. Hell, even yesterday I made a tweet, somebody was like talking about Flashpoint and paying two million dollars for a concept and ideas with zero top teams. And I like said add a zero to after that too and sounds familiar. Hey Activision Blizzard. And like Yeah. You know, like I'm I'm always one to like speak my mind and like you know, for me, like, it's just the fact that, like, uh, I have a lot to deal with. I don't have time to go out there and, like, crap on everything I think is terrible. Some of it I just see and I, like, just don't say anything because I don't have the time to say anything and invest in making content in it because I have other content to make. That that was a lot of 2018 and 2019 for me. Yeah. I was various different things. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, yeah. like, I think it's just, it's about setting up respect, right? Like, I, I am always one that always just like tries to remember that that these business people whether you're critiquing them or praising them like they're humans right and and to that point like you want to make it known that like 
even when you're critical of them, you still respect them as human beings and respect their differing opinion. And that it's not a personal thing at all, right? Like critiquing their business or critiquing what they're doing is not, uh, unless it truly is in the way that you're phrasing it, uh, it is not a personal thing. And, and I think that that's really important to reassure people of that. Uh, and I always try to do so. I, I always try to make a point to, uh, you know, be like, and, and not like I'm like being two-faced in any point of way. Like I've, I have said things about the Overwatch League on said things about the Overwatch League or or the LCS in that matter on a broadcast uh, or on a video or in writing and then like grab lunch or coffee with someone who works at one of those leagues and like say it to their face and expand on it. Like I'm the same person I am online that I am in person. I just like make it known that my intentions are not impure and I'm not doing it out of like personal distrust or whatever. Right. I'm doing it because uh, that's the way I feel. And that's my job is to express my opinion and to write about things that uh write about things that i find particularly interesting for my audience yeah no malice you know like you're not i think it also it does reflect for casters as well right because i think there's always for us you know there's a time and a place for us to be able to address our personal concerns and there are times where i could be frustrated about a thing but you know i may not go out there on twitter but i know the person that i can talk to and say like hey mm-hmm. this isn't working or if it's something i don't agree with and i'll i'll say it on twitter you know i i have no problem saying it there as well it's always like a it's a it's a fine line you know it truly is and we we are in such a uh, easily accessible industry especially in comparison to what you see in sports uh because mm-hmm. we we are so directly critiqued um, and and we are so active within our own communities that you don't really see that in pro sports, like basketball players and football players, uh, even the people that report on them are nowhere near as active on social media as we are, because yeah. we come from that generation of individuals that use Twitter, not just as a means to like have conversations with others, but as a means to vent or a means to to just share. Right. Uh, there really is just so much that can be said about how the two worlds are so different from one another. Obviously, there is also been a, a boom in esports when it comes to just the games that we're starting to see now. And ESPN has been covering so many different games now. It actually makes me really happy because I remember for myself personally, there was a time when it was literally just like the League of Legends place. You know, it was like, oh yeah, that's where you go and you just find about League of Legends news and it's always well written right you know because you, mean, you guys are fantastic Emily's Thank like you. Emily is superb uh you know Fion's great too like everyone everyone's awesome there right you can tell that there's just a lot of care put into it but now you guys are starting to really expand and grow into different areas um what is what is one game that, that people may not know that you personally uh, enjoy because yeah, there's a lot out there. Is there anything, any like diamonds in the rough that you kind of wish you can cover for ESPN? I mean, I wish like I, I enjoy playing it a lot from a coverage perspective. It's just like time management. It's not that like we've covered it as ESPN. Hell, we like ran events for it last year also. And that's Apex Legends. Like, yeah. I actually really, really like Apex Legends. I just like I'm so pulled in so many different directions, right? Like I find my game quite or I find my role at ESPN and sort of my job like to be multi multifaceted and the fact that I need to be able to cover anything. Yeah. Right. So like I'm working on some stuff right now in Tekken and others that like, I don't play Tekken, but yeah. like I'm passionate about the story and like, I can be passionate about the people I'm writing about and not necessarily like be super into the game. 
Um, but you know, like for me, like the, the games I'm like really into right now, League of Legends, uh, and by extension, TFT and Legends of Runeterra are great. Apex Legends, uh, Call of Duty and, and Super Smash Brothers. Like those are the games that get me going. Um, and Counter-Strike 2. I am generally have always been interested in Counter-Strike Go, but I am even more so interested right now with what's going on with Flashpoint and the yeah. Pro League. So expect That's to see more That's whole episode in itself, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we could talk forever about it. But, you know, I so expect more Counter-Strike content from me for sure. I, I definitely think, like, to your point about ESPN, like, we have three of the best League of Legends writers in the world. And, and so, yeah. yeah, it's really easy to write about League of Legends because I'm like, that's where I got my start as a reporter. And that's where uh, Tyler and Emily both got their starts as feature writers, or at least made their names as feature writers. I know they've written about other things prior. Yeah. Um, so it is easy to like, because we're comfortable there, right? And like, we don't have to, from a time of commitment perspective, we can tell you a lot of things about the game because we played thousands of hours of the game. Yeah. Um, of but course. I like, I would say like, we came under new management in, in November. Um, and, uh, we have certainly like, we're being challenged to, to expand. Um, and I've always been interested in a bunch of other things. Uh, smash is probably like one of my favorite game series ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I certainly think like, uh, the coverage we're doing across the board is definitely expanding. We've probably seen a lot more call of duty content and yeah. on our, on our, uh, platforms. So like we're doing a coach's poll for call of duty and overwatch yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've helped a little bit with some of those, like, I'm I'm happy about it. It's it's been a resource thing, man. Right? Like when I started, I was I was uh it was me and Tyler and Darren, and like now we have thirteen people who work fifty percent or more on esports every single day at ESPN, and eleven of those Unreal. people are full time esports. Unreal. So, uh, and that's that's on the content side of things, not the TV side of things. But you know, like we're we we've expanded, and and that's allowed us to do more interesting things and cover a little bit broader than we did originally. So yeah, I want to give credit to Emily. Because Emily did Call of Duty and she she was fantastic. She God, really... she's she's awesome, dude. I like yeah. I, she is so so underrated by by just like fans at large. She has like a really hardcore uh, fan base, like people who really like Emily, really like Emily because she's great at what she does. But I wish there were more people who were like that. That like were really in tune with what she does because like from yeah. her writing to her on camera interviewing, like I'm a huge. She, she was her. at a uh, launch weekend and and i watched a yeah. bunch of her interviews and they were fantastic she's going, she's going to atlanta this weekend so oh I'm that's like, amazing super, i'm super excited to sort of see see her do more call of duty stuff she really enjoys it and yeah. uh I, I think she's quite good at it yeah i'm like i'm all for it man well like, she's she's great you know i since i have you might as well mention it you know we could dive into it briefly we don't have to go too far into the weeds you know i i discussed in my monologue about nintendo and super smash brothers and i know you i'm, I'm sure you saw the hungry box clip of him basically saying like nintendo you know we're here where are you how do you feel about nintendo's stance if or lack thereof uh on on super smash brothers because it certainly has created a, a dialogue that's been around for like a super long time now like we've been talking about this forever where it's like, hey, Nintendo, are you doing something? And then Nintendo will do like Nintendo versus. And then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe they're going to start to do something. Or they'll do something at, at E3. But then you, you've learned that it's not really anything like meaningful. It's just like something small. Do you feel like yeah. Nintendo needs to get involved at this point? Or do you think that that we're just, we're, we're past it? And and that it, it's not, it's not ne as necessary as it once was? I think that if they're not going to do it themselves, they should do what Halo did earlier today on Wednesday and announce like doing it with another partner, right? Like Halo just licensed out to, to eSports Engine yeah. to put together all their events, which like I know you're a Halo guy and I used to watch a ton of Halo. So I like 
hell yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> congrats, yeah. Congrats to Adam Apatella and team. Um, I would love to see that happen with Smash. I think the existing tournaments are great. I think finding the right way to supplement those would be like the best thing they could do, right? Whether that be like financially and adding to prize pool, which is the obvious one, but also like creating some sort of, I'd love to see like a circuit of Smash events where like all the big events, the like CEO Dreamlands, and uh, the Genesis and Big House and Frostbite and all these other like major events in Smash, sort yeah. of like what's going on in, in Mortal Kombat and in Street Fighter, uh, where they earn points. And then at the end of the year, there's like a Capcom Cup S tournament. I think that would be awesome to see like the best 30 Super Smash Brothers players come together and compete. I do think that like Nintendo's really only incentivized to do that with Ultimate because they no longer sell me- sell melee. I love melee, uh, and I like wish there was more incentive for them to get involved in melee. But uh, frankly, from a as being a business reporter, there's not because they they don't sell the title anymore and they don't sell GameCubes, right? Like Nintendo's yeah. been very clear with what their objective is. Their objective is to sell consoles and to sell games. So uh, like I was hoping they would do that when Ultimate first came out, and they didn't, and I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't because I think it was a good opportunity. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think it's not. I don't think it's too late. Like if they found a partner and announced it tomorrow, like that partner would instantly get a lot of credibility. So if you're a business out there, hello, and you're listening to the <laughs> uh, that esports show with Golden Boy, uh, and you're a business out there wanting to uh, find somewhere to invest and get a lot of credit instantly, go invest in uh, Super Smash Brothers, but partner with the existing tournaments rather than compete against them. Yeah, uh, that's pay, true. pay Nintendo a giant sum to run your own circuit, and uh, I, I promise that community will love you. I've Boy. never seen one one community get more excited about anything. Like, you know, the moment we launched a, when I, in 2016, we launched a, or no, into 2015, we launched like a Super Smash Brothers AMA at Daily Dot. And like, holy crap, man. Like we, we partnered with Reddit to, or with the subreddit to like do this series. And like, everybody was so loving. I like, even now, like go to Smash events or people were like, you were that guy that did that show. And I was like, that was like four years ago. Yeah. Like, yes. But yes, I was the guy that did that show. And now, like, I work at a bigger company that also likes Smash. So, <laughs> hey, this works out really well, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, like, I was at Genesis a few weeks ago, and it's great. It's great. The passion in Smash is amazing. Yeah. I, like, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, like, I've played Melee since I was, like, four years old, on and off. Um, I still play a ton of Ultimate. Still play some Melee as well. So, like, yeah, come on. Like, I, I, I feel like it's beating a little bit of a dead horse because, like, people have cried for nintendo to help for a long time but like i, w- I wish somebody would do it doesn't necessarily have to be nintendo but i wish somebody would do it very really true. make like really it would really help storylines to have a cir- circuit that connects all the big events yeah it certainly would it would be a huge plus to the scene you know um but the good thing is that that scene will always continue to strive because they have so many passionate people that are there and th- they're the that, biggest they're the biggest esport not supported by a developer it's it's wild it is it is utterly wild um so uh wrapping up here bud uh because you know we we all we all got places to be and you know news to break one f- one final question if you if you had to say what the future of journalism in esports looks like and i know this is a pretty broad question so feel free to truncate it as much as you'd like but where where do you see a lot of this going do you see it in 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 audio form do you see it in video form do you do you think that like what your colleagues are doing over with sports center and whatnot if, if that's like where we need to be what do you feel 
esports journalism needs in order, as you said earlier, to kind of like kind of level up alongside the rest of the industry? Yeah, I think it will come with time, right? Like, I think that there are a lot of students right now studying journalism who are esports fans um, across the world. I think that will help because those people are going to come out with training. I mean, hell, I didn't I did not go to journalism school. I've learned on the job, but I've been really passionate about it. I think it's just like it it's going to take time. It's going to take time to really get there, but I do think that the biggest thing that I always tell younger journalists and aspiring journalists is like find what makes you unique and iterate on that, right? Find what find the one thing that you can do better than anyone else. Maybe that's your you're such a great analyst that like your analysis is so much better than everyone else. That's that's pretty unlikely cuz a lot of the top games have some really experienced analysts who are very intelligent. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like that was my thing, like I was a really good reporter. I was really good at talking to people and obtaining information and building trust and like I've iterated on that and made it to the point where uh, where people like care and and people trust me, right? They trust me not to screw them over. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think that it's like being patient, um, for me, uh, you know, like I am wholeheartedly committed. If I made a tweet tomorrow that I was looking for a job and wanted to be like an executive, I think several esports teams or leagues would approach me to do so. Um, but yeah. I don't want to, because I feel like a huge obligation, personal obligation to esports journalism and bettering esports journalism, whether that be by helping out other people or by like doing what I'm doing at ESPN and trying to like set an example for coverage uh, and iterate on that. You know, I feel super committed to doing this and, and I like hope other people are that passionate as well. I know some who are and I think it's a matter of time and until somebody finally figures out the business part of it, uh, I think literally everyone's trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's going to take some innovation. It's not going to be the same old, same old because the esports audience is not the same as the sports audience or the tech audience. It's a whole different type of consumer, much younger consumer, and the way that it it the way that the esports audience works. I mean, they really they they, they really have a high expectation for content. So I, I do think it's being patient. Being patient is a big thing. Yeah, I, you know, as much as we have grown in the last few years, there's still so much work to be done. Um, but you have certainly helped lead the charge in that one, bud, and. Uh, and not Thank only you. do I look forward to seeing what you do in the future with whatever new projects you have coming along the horizon, uh, but I also think, you know, you and I as both just fans and, and, and lovers of esports just can't wait to see what the future holds for this entire industry. Uh, I agree. Yeah. So thank you so much, pal. Really appreciate it. Uh, check out Jacob Wolf on Twitter. Uh, it's just Jacob Wolf, right? I believe. Yeah. Super easy. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Rishi. thank you, Rishi Chadha at Twitter for help, helping me out a couple years ago. That subtle, <laughs> that subtle shout out. But yeah, so check out Jacob Wolf on Twitter. You can ch- catch all his stuff on ESPN.com. Uh, find the esports section. There's a lot of good content there. Thanks again, bud. Once again, huge shout out to Jacob Wolf for joining me on that esports podcast. It's a pleasure to talk to him and also to get his perspective on journalism's place in this world of esports. But that's going to do it uh, for me today. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in to listen. And if you happen to enjoy that esports podcast, make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and also feel free to endorse us on whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to your audio goodness. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.